The Movement Church is all about passionate people who build authentic relationships to reach limitless potential and serves Orange County, California. For more information, visit us online at theocmovement.com. We hope you enjoy this message from the movement. talking about shades of grace. And, and to jump into that, I, I just wanted to share some scripture with you. Um, we just came out of a series called Shades of Grey. How many of you enjoyed that? Anybody? It was so good. If you weren't here, you're going to have to go back and podcast it because we hit some amazing topics and really talked about the standard of right and wrong. And, and it was such a good series. And we thought we'd just follow that right up with Shades of Grace. So jumping into the scripture this morning in Matthew chapter five, and you don't have to follow along with me. I just wanted to preface and start out with this. And Matthew chapter five, verse 20, it tells us this, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, that's the religious leaders, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Verse 21, you've heard it said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But what I say to you, and that's Jesus talking, is that anyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And then he goes on in verse 27 and he says, you've heard it said back in the Old Testament, do not commit adultery. But I say to you, that's Jesus talking, that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. <sighs> These are some heavy scriptures, if that's all we look at. In fact, as I start out with that this morning, you might be thinking, wait a second. I thought you said we finished Shades of Grey last week. I thought today was about Shades of Grace. And when we read the scripture and we see that this, this was Jesus talking and we read these scriptures, it can almost feel at times a little bit hopeless, can't it? It can almost feel a little bit like, how could I ever measure up? When we listen to this alone, it's easy to get caught up in the shame or the guilt or the condemnation that we might feel and feel like there's absolutely no chance for us. But this series is called Shades of Grace. No shame, no guilt, just grace. This is where grace comes in. And so if you'd like to take notes and you're writing down the title of this message, I would call this message, it's all about that grace, about that grace. You guys are awake this morning. It's good. All about that grace. You see, I think there's so many of us in this room that we don't really fully understand the grace of God. I think there's so many of us in this room who might walk around and carry around a weight of shame. Without a show of hands, how many of you can identify with, with maybe being so perfection-oriented that you live discouraged and depressed and feeling like you just, you just can't? You just can't. I just can't measure up. Anybody? Don't show me your hands. Just think about it. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 has something to say about this. I think you're going to be able to see it on the screen. It says, for by grace... By grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. I want everybody to look at that. I think it's underlined and read that with me. And this is not your own doing. What does that mean? You can't do anything. 
This has nothing to do with you for by grace, you have been saved through faith and it is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that none of us can boast, right? We've been saved by grace through faith. The truth is that none of us can measure up. None of us. So wherever you find yourself on that spectrum of sin and where I say spectrum of sin, I don't mean lesser to greater. I'm talking like the color spectrum, right? Wherever you find yourself, whatever might be the greatest struggle for you, whether it be an area of, of lying or cheating or lust or judgment or pride, wherever you find yourself, we are all in the same place today. We need grace. Look at the neighbor sitting next to you and say, you need some grace. Look at the one on the other side and say, you need even more. Second Corinthians 12, nine says, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Would you do me a favor and let's bow our heads and let's pray. Jesus, I come before you right now. And I thank you for every person who's in the room today. God, me included. Lord, I thank you that your grace is sufficient for us. God, I thank you that it's not by accident that any person walked through the doors of this church today, but that God, you have a word to speak, to encourage our hearts, to give us hope for the future. God, I thank you that your grace is enough. God, we just give you this time and this service. God, would you speak through me? God, would you give me grace? In Jesus' name, amen. You know, I want to tell you a story I was reading, and uh, you may have heard it before. It's a story about Fiorello LaGuardia, who was the mayor of New York City during the worst days of the Great Depression in World War II. And they describe him as this colorful character who used to ride around on the fire engines through the city. He used to raid speakeasies with the police department. He used to take entire orphanages to the baseball games. And whenever the New York newspapers were on strike, he would go on the radio and read the Sunday funnies to the kids. And one bitterly cold night in January of 1935, the mayor turned up at a night court in an area that served the poorest ward in the city. LaGuardia dismissed the judge, and he proceeded to take over the bench himself. And within a few minutes, a tattered old woman was brought into him and charged with stealing a loaf of bread. She told LaGuardia that her daughter's husband had deserted her. Her daughter was sick, and her two grandchildren were starving. But the shopkeeper whom had brought this charge, whom the, had, the bread had been stolen from, the shopkeeper was angry. He was mad and he insisted to the judge, I will not drop the charges. She needs to be punished because it is a bad neighborhood, your honor. And she needs to be punished so it can teach everyone a lesson that stealing is wrong. And LaGuardia sighed. He turned to the woman and he said, I have to punish you. The law makes no exceptions. $10 or 10 days in jail. But even as he pronounced the sentence, the mayor was already reaching into his pocket. He extracted a bill and tossed it into his hat saying, here is the dollar fine, which I now remit. And furthermore, I'm going to fine everyone in this courtroom, 50 cents for living in a town where a person has to steal bread so that her grandchildren can eat. So Mr. Bailiff, collect the fines and give them to the defendant. The following day, the New York City newspapers reported that $47.50 was turned over to a bewildered old lady 
who had stolen a loaf of bread to feed her starving grandchildren. 50 cents of that being collected from a red-faced, angry grocery store owner, (laughs) while some 70 petty criminals and people with traffic violations and New York policemen, each of whom just paid 50 cents, gave the mayor a standing ovation. So here's my question. Did the elderly lady get what she deserved? No, (laughs) of course not. She had stolen a loaf of bread. And if you were here during our series, Shades of Grace, we talked about the fact that stealing is wrong. And no matter how you look at it and no matter how we justify it to try to make things right, it is actually wrong. Stealing was wrong and stealing required punishment. Punishment was what was due that day. So what we see in the story, what we see pictured by that mayor's actions, this is grace. This is grace. Grace is when one superior power shows kindness or mercy to one in a lesser position. Grace is simply this, undeserved, unmerited favor. So everybody in the room right now, can I ask you to do this? Just take a deep breath. Let it out. The favor and the kindness of God is available to you today, right now. In this room, it's not by accident you're here. Whatever it took you to get here, you're here for a reason. Because the grace and the favor and the kindness of God is available to you today. Let's look at that verse again, Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, that says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. What's it through? Through faith. And this is not your own doing. This is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no man can boast, right? You are here in this place today. There are no prerequisites to you receiving the grace of God. Simply belief. We've been saved by grace through faith. Simply belief. C.S. Lewis has a quote that I love, and he says, If we haven't belief, we haven't anything. Simply belief. We've been saved by grace through faith. So there are no prerequisites to you knowing the grace of God today. I want to take a few minutes while I'm with you and unpack a scripture that is found in second Corinthians. If you have your Bibles and you want to turn there, you can. And I'm going to be talking about a man in the scripture who had every reason to struggle with the concept of grace. When he comes on the scene in the Bible, he actually comes on as one of the chief persecutors of Christians during those days. And then he has this radical encounter with Jesus, and he becomes one of the leading voices for the gospel. He knew what it was like to be the chief of sinners, and he also knew what it was like to strive to uphold every part of the law. He's one of the greatest voices in the New Testament for teaching us to understand grace, and his name is Paul. And we're going to pick up in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8 through 10. But before we start reading, I want to tell you the preface to verse 8 through 10. Paul is here, and he's talking to God. And he's asking God, would you please remove this thorn in the flesh that I have? Now, we think of that, and we go, what does that mean, a thorn in the flesh? Did he have a splinter? No. What it means is that Paul was being tormented by something really difficult for him to handle. A thorn in the flesh, it was something that they never explained in the scripture, but it was something that was so overwhelming to Paul that he didn't know how he could get through it. So when we pick up in the scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8 through 10, he's pleading with God. And it says this, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this. 
three times. I pleaded with him that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. And then it goes on to say, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me for the sake of Christ. Then I'm content with my weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecution, and calamity for when I'm weak, then I'm strong. So what's Paul saying here? He's saying, God, This thing that I'm tormented with, this thing that I'm struggling with, this is too great for me to handle. He pleads with God three times, would you take this away from me? The scripture doesn't explain to us what that thorn in the flesh is, but it's interesting as you study the history of the Bible and you look back through commentaries and different theologians who have speculated to understand what Paul was referring to when he talked about that thorn. It's interesting when you look at the different viewpoints from these different theologians and every one of them suspected that Paul's thorn in the flesh might mean something different. What was interesting is that every one of them attributed their own struggles to what Paul might be struggling with. So ones that were struggling with piercing headaches and migraines that would never go away thought that maybe what Paul referred to by the thorn in the flesh was a persistent migraine that would never lead. Some of them thought that Paul was dealing with malaria, this persistent malaria that would not go away. There are speculations by other theologians that maybe the thorn in the flesh that Paul was referring to maybe was a mental illness. Maybe it was something that was plaguing his mind and he could not get the voices to stop. There's some people that suspect that maybe the thorn in the flesh was a temptation or a sin area that Paul could not stop thinking about. And they suspected this because later in the scripture, in one of the chapters in the Bible, Paul says, why is it I do the things I don't want to do? Why is it? So whatever the speculation is, I believe the reason that the scripture left it a little bit aloof is so that every one of us can relate to that thorn in the flesh. What is that for you today? What does that look like? What is your thorn? What is your consistent struggle? What is that sin pattern, that habit that you just keep going back to, that you think I've got to stop, I've got to make changes, but you just keep finding yourself back there again? What is that overwhelming insecurity? What is that overwhelming fear? What is that thorn in the flesh? Fill in the blank for yourself this morning. What is that thorn in the flesh that you find yourself plagued with today? See, Paul was desperate. And maybe you're here today and you feel just a little bit desperate. Maybe you've been battling the same thing over and over and over again for quite some time. Maybe it's been years. And you feel a little bit hopeless and you feel a little bit undeserving of grace. What is that thing that plagues you? Because Paul was desperate. He was desperate to be relieved of this burden. Can you relate? And then Paul did what he instructed others to do in Philippians 4, 6. In Philippians 4, 6, he instructed others to do not be anxious about anything, but in everything through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So what did Paul do? He did what he told other people to do. He prayed and he said, three times I prayed, God, would you take this thing away from me? But the answer was silent. You see, there's two ways of taking away a burden. And this is something you might want to write down. There's two ways of taking away a burden. Number one, it can be done by removing the load. 
Number two, it can be done by strengthening the shoulder of the one bearing the load. Instead of taking away the thorn, God would demonstrate his power through Paul's weakness. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in what? In your weakness. In your weakness. You see, to get this, Paul had to understand that God's grace was sufficient. You know, I think that part of our struggle is that we really don't believe that God's grace is sufficient until we believe that we ourselves are insufficient. We really don't believe that God's grace could possibly be sufficient until we believe that we ourselves are insufficient. You see, in this American culture that we live in, we are, we are taught to worship the self-made man, the person who can accomplish so many things. We're taught to worship the strengths and to despise the weaknesses in people. We worship the self-made man. Why is it, think about your own life here, why is it that it is so hard to turn to God or to ask for help? Why is it that is our last resort? Hmm? Why do we try so hard to figure things out on our own, to do it on our own? And our last resort, when we're at the very end of our rope, is, okay, God, could you help me? Why is that? Because we worship this idea of this self-made man, this self-sufficient idea. You know, I am so guilty of this. I was asking Pastor Carrie, can you remember a time when, when I tried to do something by myself and I didn't ask you for help? And, and then I ended up having to ask you for help. And he was like, a time? And he's like, um, you do that all the time. So I can't really help you on that example. And I started laughing because I do. I want to prove that I can do this. I can accomplish it. We tear down this church on Sundays after we're done doing church here in a movie theater with a giant whale on the wall. We tear this church down. We pack everything up and we put it away. And there are so many men and women who help us. And so at the end of one Sunday recently, I was watching people run around trying to get everything done and taken care of and put away before the movie started. And I thought, I need to help. I'm done with everything. I may be in super high heels, but that's okay. I need to help. So I look over and there's some people tearing down the coffee out there in our lobby. And I'm like, well, I can help with that. I don't know what I'm doing, but I can figure it out and I can help with that. And so I get over there and I'm like, what can I do? And we have to take the huge coffee maker and put it in our storage unit. And I'm like, I can do that. And they said to me, Megan, it's, it's really heavy and you're wearing white pants. And I was like, well, that's a challenge. Challenge accepted. <laughs> Not only will I carry it, I will get nothing on my white pants. So I proceed to pick up the coffee maker, which by the way is very heavy. And I pick up the coffee maker and I'm holding it away from my body because I don't want coffee on my white pants. And so I'm holding it away from my body and I'm beginning to shuffle down the hall in my high heels to the storage unit. And I get like halfway through the lobby and I'm, my eyes are probably like this big and I'm like, I can't do this. (laughs) There's no way I can do this, but I can't, I can't set this down. And then in my line of vision stands Chase. I don't know if you're here this morning, Chase, but I see Chase in my line of vision and I was at the end of my rope. I was either going to drop the coffee maker or get it all over my white pants. And I said, Chase, I said, can you help me? And I like dropped the coffee maker in his arms because I realized at that moment that I really was insufficient, that I really could not carry the weight of that coffee maker. But why did it take me so stinking long to figure it out? Because we think we can figure things out on our own. We think we've got all the answers. Sometimes we think we have something to prove. But we can't receive God's strength 
until we know our own weakness. We can't receive the sufficiency of God's grace until we know our own insufficiency. We just can't. Second Corinthians 12, nine says this, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. So I want to ask you this. How did God's grace, that idea, that concept of grace, that unmerited, undeserved favor, how did that make a difference for Paul? And how does God's grace make a difference for us? How does it do that? And I think the first thing to note is that grace makes a difference because it expresses God's acceptance and pleasure in us. Grace makes a difference because it expresses God's acceptance of us, his pleasure in us. You see, sometimes I think that's the hard part to get, to understand that God actually approves of us, that he's favorably disposed towards us, that we have his approval and his promise of care. You know, I don't know if any of you in the room have children. I have two little girls. We talk about them all the time. I mean, they're our example for everything. And and my kids, they eat it up when we share with them our approval. When we tell them, honey, I'm so proud of you. You are such a great kid. I love you so much. They eat it up. They just smile and they beam, especially when they were little. Avery used to have these little tiny pigtails, and she would wear these dresses all the time, and she would just kind of do this little number. Every time you talked to her and told her how great she was, she just ate it up. But as she's gotten older... If I ever go in and I just say, Avery, I'm so proud of you. I've noticed that a question starts to rise in her mind because she's gotten a little bit older and she's realized she doesn't always make all the right decisions. Sometimes she makes poor choices and gets in trouble for them because there's consequences for our decisions, right? And so occasionally I've gone in and I thought, I need to tell her how much I love her, how proud I am of her. And I'll say, Avery, I'm so proud of you. And she'll go, why? And I'll go, because you're so wonderful and I love you and you're just the sweetest kid and I'll just find all the great attributes to praise. And she'll go, but sometimes I make bad choices. And I thought, you know, isn't that just like us? God loves us. He's favorably disposed towards us. He he actually approves of us. But as we've gotten older and we've lived certain extents of life, we realize how imperfect we actually are, don't we? And we realize how many times we actually mess up. And that thorn in our side is a constant reminder of that thing that we just can't master. And so when we hear someone tell us that God is proud of you, that God loves you, that God chose you, it feels good, but it's almost hard to receive because we feel like, but sometimes I make bad choices. Yeah, but just like my little Avery, yeah, baby, sometimes you do, and we're learning from that, but I love you, and I'm proud of you, and that's what God would say to each of us this morning. So the question and the, and the hesitation that you feel right now of even being able to receive that for yourself, that's not from God. He says, I love you. I'm proud of you. I approve of you. Whoever you are, why? That is grace. That is grace. Grace made a difference for Paul and it makes a difference for us because it is available all the time. All the time. Listen, grace is not like we go to a video arcade and we get a card and we fill it up with 30 credits. And after we've slid that card 30 times, there's no more. 
It's not grace. Grace is available all the time. It's an endless thing that we have in our hands and in our power. Why? Because it's by grace that we've been saved through faith. Grace is available at all times. It was given freely to us. There's an endless amount of grace for you and for me. It cannot be taken away because we stumble or we fall. We come to God through faith and grace, grace is the free gift of God for each and every one of us who believe. His grace is always ready to meet our insufficiencies, always ready to meet our needs. You know, grace makes a difference for Paul and it makes a difference for us because grace is at the very nature the strength of God. Grace is at the very foundation, the strength of God. You know, the best picture that I can give you of this is of a father and a child. And I think of the strength of God. And I think of a father who's working with a young child. And I know that when my kids were little and we used to go out and get in the ocean and the waves would be kind of picking up steam and they'd start to get really large and my kids' feet couldn't touch the ground. Their dad was strong enough and capable enough that when giant waves would come that had the potential to take them out, he would grab their little arms and lift them up above his head to where the wave couldn't touch them, right? That's grace. That's the strength of God. That when the waves of life and the storms of life are coming, the grace of God is the strength of God that lifts you up above them. It doesn't mean he takes you out of them. It doesn't mean that you get out of the ocean. It just means he lifts you above the waves, right? Grace of God is like a father teaching his child to ride a bike. And the child gets on the bike and we take off the training wheels and the dad grabs the back of the bike and they start to pedal. And that little child feels like I cannot do this. Maybe that's like you. Maybe it's this feeling of I can't overcome this area of temptation. Maybe I can't overcome this area of sin. Maybe I can't overcome this battle in my mind. And we feel so wobbly because we just don't have it down. But the grace of God is like a father who puts his hand on the bike and says, I'm going to run with you until you get this figured out. I'm going to go with you until you actually master this, until you actually have the strength on your own to do it by yourself. That doesn't mean that we automatically get perfect. That just means that after practice and God running with us in that race, that we begin to get better, right? That is the grace of God. The grace of God is when you've got a huge obstacle in front of you, like a mountain. We used to live in Arizona and we'd go hiking and my kids would get tired. Anybody ever get tired hiking? There's some hills in California that will make you tired hiking. And we'd go hiking and my kids would be little and they would get so tired. So what does dad do? Picks them up and puts them on his back or on his shoulders and says, come on, we can do this. We can do it together. So wherever you're at today, the grace of God is available to you because the grace of God at its core is the strength of God for you and for me. Let's break this down real quickly as we're wrapping up here in second Corinthians 12, nine, it says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. My grace is sufficient for you because my power is made perfect in weakness. And our weakness is where God gets to show off his strength. And I want to take just these last few minutes I have with you and just break down that scripture. My grace is sufficient for you. What does that mean for you and me today, this Sunday, this July 12th? What does that look like for you and for me? It looks like this. The word my, 
My grace is sufficient for you. Let's get this straight. Whose grace is it? God's. It's God's grace. It doesn't have anything to do with you or me. It doesn't have anything to do with what we can do to get the job done. It doesn't have anything to do with can we measure up to all of the things that the Bible puts in front of us. No, it says my grace is sufficient for you. This is not anything in our own power. This is everything in God's strength. My grace, his grace is what we need. So part of what we have to do is recognize our insufficiencies and recognize his greatness and realize that it's not anything that we can do on our own, but that it's all him. My grace is sufficient for you. Do you ever feel the pressure to hold it together or to get it all together before you come to church on a Sunday morning? I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with men and women who've said, you know, it's hard for me to come on Sundays to church Because when I wake up and I I know that's where I should be, I just feel like I don't deserve to be there. I feel like I just, I've got to get some stuff together before I can come and worship God. Maybe that's you. Maybe it was a struggle for you to walk through the doors this morning. Maybe you feel like you don't have it all together. And guess what? None of us do. It's easy to look around the room and think that we know what's going on in everyone's life. But we don't know but my grace is sufficient. God's grace is sufficient. You don't have to pull it all together. It's not about your sufficiency. It's all about him. This is the right place to be. Let's look at that next word, grace. My grace, his what? His grace is sufficient. Grace is the favor and the love of God in action. Listen, again, undeserved, unmerited, You can't earn it. It's not by works. Why? Because if it was by works, if we could earn the grace of God, then we would all be striving and working so hard, but we would yet never measure up. You know, this is the good news of the gospel. You know, there is no other religion. There is no other religion that says grace is the key. Every other religion requires works. Every other religion says you've got to do A, B, and C in order to be okay and to make it to where you're going. But the gospel message is that no, God's gift to us, his free gift costs us nothing, is grace. It's unmerited, unearned favor. There's nothing we can do that makes it more available to us. I love this point. God's grace is, everyone say is. What does that mean? It is right now. Not it will be someday. Not it was and it used to be. But God's grace is sufficient for you and for me. God's grace is sufficient. It is. That means right now, present tense, God's grace is enough. You know, you might have thought that something needed to change before it was enough, but that's not the case. You might have thought that his grace was sufficient once, maybe the last few times that you stumbled and you made that same mistake over and over again. Maybe at that point it felt like it was sufficient, but maybe now it doesn't feel so much that way. But God's grace is, everybody say is, God's grace is is sufficient right now in this very moment where we stand, where we sit, God's grace is sufficient. It is right now in this moment, everything you need, 
can I just say, God's grace, it extends beyond our comprehension. It's not just the grace to overcome areas of sin. It's not just the grace to, to deal with the ongoing battle in our mind. But God's grace is sufficient for whatever you're facing, whatever the circumstance. God's grace is sufficient to carry you through. Just like the father who holds his kid up above the waves. You may feel like you're not getting removed from the ocean. Maybe you're facing the onslaught of wave after wave after wave. And you just feel like it's going to take you out. But listen, God's grace is right now, today, sufficient. Let's hit on sufficient because maybe that'll help us understand. God's grace is sufficient. What does sufficient mean? What is sufficient? The definition of sufficient is so good. It says this, it's adequate for the purpose. It is enough. It's enough. When we feel at the end of our rope, when we feel like we don't have the strength, we're at the best place we could possibly be because his grace is sufficient, which means it's enough. And God's power is made perfect, perfect in our weakness. And this last part of the scripture, my grace is sufficient for you, for you. You know, I'm so glad that the Bible doesn't say my grace is sufficient for Paul, the apostle. I might've felt left out, but God made it broad. He made it big. He made it big enough that the you in for you can be you. He made it big. My grace is sufficient for you, for you, for you, sufficient for you. Are you so beyond it? Are you so beyond it? Are you so different? Is your thorn worse than Paul's? Is it worse than many of the others who have known the triumph of Jesus? Is your thorn so much worse? Can I ask you another question? Is it better? Sometimes the concept of grace is so hard to understand for people who've been in church for a long time. And maybe you sit in the room and you think, well, I've tried to do everything right. I've lived my life. I've served God. I've tried to follow his commandments. I've tried to do everything right. And it's hard for me to understand this grace thing. It also doesn't feel very fair. But can I challenge you that it's very easy for pride and for judgment to set in? And don't you think that we need God's grace? To overcome that. And don't you think that it was maybe God's grace who got you there in the first place? That it was nothing to do with you and all your great works? All your great following of the rules? But possibly, just possibly, that was the grace of God working through you to give you the strength to follow him? See, wherever you're at in the room this morning... Every one of us, we need grace. We need grace. Every one of us. You're not beyond it. You're not better than it. We need grace. 
And the scripture tells us my grace is sufficient for you. You know, in closing, I want to share a really quick story. My mom and dad were pastors growing up and they, they worked in children's ministry. They pastored all the kids of our church and my dad did all the counseling at our church. And one day this man walked into my dad's office, long black hair, roughed up face, tattoos all over his body, black leather jacket, baggy jeans with metal chains hooped around. And he walked into my dad's office and my dad thought, well, what have we here? And he proceeded to find out this, this man's name was Alan, Alan Delgado. And Alan had gotten saved at a Joel Osteen conference. And he had come in an ex-gangbanger, an ex-criminal. He came in this rough character and he said, what do I do? What do I do to walk out this new gift of salvation? And he started down a journey that my dad walked with him in for quite some time. And this rough ex-gangbanger, ex-criminal with long hair, grim reaper tattoo on his arm, chains hanging off of his pants, started serving in the children's ministry (laughs) with my parents. And there was a few parents who were a little scared about that. But this thing happened with Alan. He found the grace and the love of God to be so overpowering and so good that he couldn't help but do something with it. And he loved to talk about who Jesus was to kids. And Alan served with my parents for years in children's ministry, probably 15 years, loving on kids, believing in kids, praying for kids. But he kept the same look. He had this long, grungy hair, this roughed up face, the Grim Reaper tattoo, leather jacket, baggy jeans, chains hanging everywhere. And finally, one day, one of the ladies working with him said, Alan, we love you. We know you. Why? Why? Why do you keep the same look that you had before you gave your life to Christ? Why do you keep the grim reaper tattoo? And Alan said, it's my constant reminder. It's my constant reminder that God's grace was enough for me. That his strength is made perfect in my weakness. Alan went home to be with Jesus two weeks ago. And I just think of that life. A man who recognized, I'm so far from perfect. I don't have it all together. But I'm willing to do what it takes to get better. And in the process, he let everybody see. He was vulnerable. He was real. He let everybody see the weakness because he knew that his weakness boasted of God's strength. And I don't know where you're at in the room this morning. I don't know what burden you walked in carrying. I don't know what the thorn is for you. But I know that my God says his grace is sufficient for you. His grace is sufficient for you. And maybe the thorn for you, maybe you're carrying a burden of disbelief. Maybe you walked in this room just questioning your faith. Maybe really trying to wrap your head around what you do believe. Maybe you feel this separation between you and God and you just feel like there's no way that I could ever have connection with a heavenly father who loves me. And you feel this separation and it's a real thing. We call it the sin gap because sin separates us from God. 
But the amazing part of the gospel story is that by grace, through faith, we've been saved. So the scripture tells us really clearly, this is a free gift from God to you. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to have it all together. You don't have to understand everything about faith. All we have to have is belief. All we have to do is say, God, I don't understand it all. I'm a mess. But I know that when the word says you sent your son Jesus to give his life on a cross, to pay the ransom for my sin, because we know there's consequences for sin, right? And Jesus paid the price when he laid on that cross. He paid the price for you and for me. And all it takes is us to acknowledge it. The scripture says, confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and then you'll be saved. And maybe you're in the room today and you've never made that confession. And today is the day for you to receive the free gift of God, which is grace. It's grace. And he's patient with the journey that's ahead. And maybe you're in the room today and it's been a long time and you've been running from God and it's time to say, God, I'm turning my path around and I'm coming back to you. So right now I want to pray a prayer. And I'm going to ask everyone in this room to pray it out loud with me. Whether you've prayed this prayer a million times or not, I want you to pray it out loud. And for those of you in this room who need to let that prayer be the confession of your mouth, I want to ask you to mean it in your heart. And just believe. Because the free gift of God, the grace of God, is available to you today. Amen? Will you bow your head and close your eyes? And everybody in this room... Repeat after me. Dear God, I know that I've sinned. I know that I mess up all the time. But I know that your grace is enough for me. So today, I make a decision to surrender to you. Now, everybody in this room, repeat this phrase after me. God, I give you my life. Thank you for joining us today. Find out more about us at theocmovement.com or we'd love to meet you in person this Sunday. Till next time, Orange County.